Welcome to Friendship with God. Today, Tom Cantor will teach us from Genesis chapter 6 how Noah found what he was looking for, which was grace in the eyes of the Lord, and how Noah made his life so different from the rest of the corrupt and violent world that Noah made his life to be sold out for God. And we hope you're enjoying these tremendous Bible studies, this great expository teaching that we're getting from Tom Cantor here on Friendship with God. And we do appreciate your listenership, and we hope that you'll go to our website, friendshipwithgod.org, to take advantage of some of our free resources or to go to our bookstore that's there. But we also want to make an invitation to you for 2015 to become one of our monthly supporters of Friendship with God so we can continue broadcasting on this station in your city, as well as providing the messages for free for you, the listener, on iTunes.com, SermonAudio.com, and also on our main website, FriendshipWithGod.org. All there for free listening and free download, but it's there with your support, and we need you to become a monthly supporter if you can. You can call us at 800 247 3051, and we can set you up for that. That's 800-247-3051, and that'll help continue Friendship with God airing on this station in your city and also available by podcast and MP3 download. Again, it's 800-247-3051, 800-247-3051 to support Friendship with God this year in 2015 with a monthly donation of any amount. Or you can donate one time online at friendshipwithgod.org. Now, here's our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, on Friendship with God. Father, we thank you so much that these histories that happened in the past are not lost. We thank you, Lord, that the history of how you worked with man, how you saved man, how you pleaded with man, how you don't want any man to end in hell and want all men to go to heaven, that all of those histories have been preserved for us in this book. We thank you, Lord, for the opportunity this morning to study your word. And we ask, Lord, that you open our hearts now in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Now, Genesis chapter 6, you follow along, please. Genesis chapter 6, verse 1. It came to pass when men began to multiply on the face of the earth, and daughters were born unto them, that the sons of God saw the daughters of men, that they were fair, and they took them wives of all which they chose. And the Lord said, My spirit shall not always strive with man, for that he also is flesh. Yet his days shall be 120 years. There were giants in the earth in those days, and also that when the sons of God came unto the daughters of men, they bare children to them. The same became mighty men, which were of old, men of renown. And God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And it repented the Lord that he had made man on the earth, and it grieved him at his heart. And the Lord said, I will destroy man whom I have created. From the face of the earth, both man and beast, and the creeping thing, and the fowls of the air. For it repenteth me that I have made them. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. These are the generations of Noah. Noah was a just man and perfect in his generations. And Noah walked with God. And Noah begat three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. The earth also was corrupt before God. And the earth was filled with violence. And God looked upon the earth, and they behold, it was corrupt, for all flesh had corrupted his way upon the earth. And God said unto Noah, the end of all flesh has come before me, for the earth is filled with violence through them. And behold, I will destroy them with the earth, and make thee an ark of gopher wood. 
Room shalt thou pitch in the ark, and thou shalt pitch it within and without with pitch. Now, last week, considering what God said in verse 3, which is just an astounding statement, he said that his spirit shall not always strive with man. We saw that there were two forces inside the believer, the God's spirit and the flesh. That's not true of the lost. That's not true of the person who doesn't believe. There's only one force at work there. That's the flesh. We saw last week these several wonderful names for the Spirit of God. We saw he's called the Spirit of Life, the Spirit of the Living God, and maybe best of all, well, they're all good, but the very interesting good one is called the Spirit of Christ. And we saw how when we become children of God, that the Lord Jesus Christ, through his Spirit, takes up residence inside of us, which is an amazing truth. Paul never got over that. And we saw how the Spirit of God is like a garden in us. And the garden reminded us of the Garden of Eden. So like in the Garden of Eden, there was the trees that produced fruit. So like in our garden, there is the Spirit of God. He also produces the fruit of the Spirit. We saw that that was love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. On the other hand, we saw that the flesh is like a factory with all of its cranking noise. And it doesn't produce fruit. It produced works, works of the flesh. We saw last week how that we determine how much fruit comes from the garden. God does not determine how much fruit comes from us. We do. Why is that? Because we saw that as with the garden, the key was how much the ground is worked. How much the ground is worked. The ground by watering and by feeding and by weeding. From that, we saw that that determines not only how much fruit comes from the garden, and in the same way determines how much of the fruit of the Spirit comes from us. Just like God put the trees in the Garden of Eden to give fruit, that was God's responsibility, then the trees would give fruit. God has put within our heart the Holy Spirit to yield fruit. But then God charged Adam and he told him, your responsibility to guard and keep this garden. That's what you have to do. Our responsibility to prepare our hearts. We saw how that's our responsibility. It rests on us, our heart ground. And we saw how it's our job. And we make our heart what's called good and honest. That's what the Bible says, good and honest heart. When we hear the word of God and we keep or obey the word of God. And when we do that, then we'll deal with personal sin by confessing it and forsaking it. When we do that, then we'll deal with suffocating cares that come to us and worries by turning our attention away from them and our focus to the Lord Jesus Christ. When we do that, we'll pull out the weeds that are overreaching and they're seductive and they're draining and they're distractions. And all of that comes as we focus on work and on pleasures and anything that turns us away from God. So we turn our attention and our focus back to the Lord Jesus Christ. That's our responsibility. We make the decisions and we do the work that results in that. So we determine within this conflict that's going on inside of us, who's going to win the battle, the spirit or the flesh. And it all is determined by who we decide to feed and who we decide to starve. If we feed the flesh and starve the spirit, the flesh wins. If we feed the spirit 
and starve the flesh, the spirit wins. What's happened here in our chapter that we're studying is the sons of God fed the flesh, starved the spirit, so the flesh won. And that's exactly what took place here, primarily in the basic decision that they made, which started it all, which was who they decided to marry. Who to marry. They starved the spirit, fed the flesh, because they saw they were beautiful women. And the conclusion was, in verse 3, that the sons of God made the wrong decision, and so God called them, he also is flesh. The flesh won. The spirit was tired of striving with them over this issue. So we saw from verse 5 that those sons of God lost the battle, first of all, in their mind. The battle was lost in their mind when it says that the thoughts were only evil continually. And that's our battle. Our battle takes place first in our mind. And we saw from verse 5 that then they lost the battle to influence the earth. They lost the battle to be salt in the earth. And so what happened? Wickedness became great in the earth. From verse 11, we saw that the sons of God lost the battle to stop corruption in the earth. And twice God said that the earth was corrupt before him. And then the next step after they lost the battle to stop corruption was a natural slide to losing the battle as far as violence goes. And the earth became filled with violence. There was violence. Show me a society that is morally corrupt and I'll show you a society that is violent. Because moral corruption goes before violence. Now, in the midst of all of this horrible scene and horrible situation that take place, we have this wonderful statement standing out in a stark contrast to all the corruption, all the violence, all the wickedness, all the evil thoughts continually. And we have this statement. And it says, Noah was just man and perfect in his generations. This man, Noah, he just stands right out. He's so different from everyone else on the earth. Because when the whole earth is consumed with just pleasing themselves, they're self-indulgent, and they're becoming more and more in that direction. Does it make me feel good? Do it. Corruption, violence. And Noah decides that he's going to go looking for something that no one else was looking for. And that was the grace of God. And verse 8 tells us Noah found what he was looking for. He found grace in the eyes of the Lord. And then Noah made his life by decisions and by diligence. He made his life so different from the rest of this corrupt, violent world that he lived in. He made his life to be sold out for God. He was flat out, sold out to God. He was 100% red hot for God. And what was so amazing about Noah was that he was sold out for God in this world that was so non-conducive for God. There weren't churches on every street corner at that time. (laughs) That's what's emphasized to us in verse 9 when it says, in his generations, in these generations of corruption and violence, What kind of generation are they talking about? The worst you can imagine. And Noah was a just man and perfect in his generations. There wasn't a half-hearted bone we saw in Noah's body. He was wholehearted. And he looked around and he not only saw 
the line of Cain become more and more bold in their sin against God, what he saw was the ruination of the sons of God. He saw the moral corruption of the line that was supposed to be holding the standard. He saw lots of constitutional amendments. (laughs) Noah did. And this allowed sin to thrive. And Noah lived in a changing day, something we're experiencing right now. But Noah himself refused to go with the flow. He refused to change. And so verse 9 could be written like this. Noah was a just man and perfect in his generations. Noah was standing alone in his generations, which he was. He was alone. That's exactly the day we live in today. We're living in a changing day. We're living in a day when sin is becoming more and more accepted. Homosexuality that used to be commonly viewed like God views it, something to be abhorred, today is becoming more and more accepted as an acceptable way of living. The times, they are a-changing. Now, we live in a day when homosexuals are coming out of the closet and Christians are going in the closet. And that's a day that was described over a hundred years ago by Andrew Bonar when he said, I looked for the church and I found it in the world. I looked for the world and I found it in the church. So when we look at Noah, we just admire him because he just stayed unchanged. He didn't change. When with good men who once stood for the truth and righteousness, they were now yielding to sin, they were yielding to compromise, but not Noah. He just stood there. He was all alone. So we want to know, okay, how did he do it? How did Noah stand alone for God? How is that possible? How did he do it? Well, God tells us no secret, and, and that's in the second part of verse 9. It says he walked with God. Noah knew if he was not going to be corrupted, if he was going to not be like everyone else around him, that he needed to orient his life so that when God looked at it, he could say, Noah, he lives like he walks with God. He's a man who walks with God. Noah knew, and we have to know this too, it's not enough to come to church just once a week on Sunday or some other meeting. Our lives have got to be a walk with God. We'll return with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, on Friendship with God in just a moment. We'd like to encourage you to sign up for Tom Cantor's daily devotional verse. It's available for free, signing up with your email by going to friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org. You can also donate online at friendshipwithgod.org to support this Bible teaching radio program. You can also call us now or after the program with your support and donation at 800-247-3051, 800-247-3051. It'll help us to continue airing on this station in your city. You can also call us for a free gift for a lost Jewish friend that you know that needs to be reached with the gospel. Tom Cantor and Israel Restoration Ministries will give you a free gift to reach your lost Jewish friend, and that's made available by your donations and your support, but we'll provide that free if you have a lost Jewish friend that needs to be reached with the gospel. Call us at 800-247-3051. And we saw how the Spirit of God is like a garden in us. And the garden reminded us of the Garden of Eden. They starved the spirit, fed the flesh, 
because they saw they were beautiful women. When God looked at it, he could say, Noah, he lives like he walks with God. He's a man who walks with God. We don't drift, and Noah didn't drift into a life of walking with God. He knew that in order for this to happen, it had to be very intentional on his part. Noah intentionally decided to walk with God. And how did he walk with God? How do you intentionally walk with God? How did Noah intentionally walk with God? Well, it starts off in the beginning of the day. Noah gets up in the morning. He says to God, Here I am, Lord, reporting to you today. All right, reporting for service. And Lord, let's have today be a day when you and I walk together. Let's walk together. That's the start of his day. He goes throughout the day. Noah looks around, he encounters, we're sure that Noah saw disturbing things, very disturbing. And so Noah turns to God, who's walking with him, and he said, God, what's your take on this? What's your comment on this? What's your view of this situation? And what do you want me to do? What do you want me to say in this situation as we walk together? And uh, throughout the day, good things happen to Noah, good things. So rather than just say, well, that's nice, Noah then turns to God during his walk, and he says, Lord, I want to thank you. Thank you for that. He makes the effort. He gives what he's holding, which are the thanks. And throughout the day, when opportunities come for Noah to speak to many, many needy people, he turns to God, and he says to God, what should I say to help this person? There's a desperate situation here. He doesn't know. He's walking right down the middle of the road to hell. So what should I say? And God told him to preach fearlessly, which he did. That judgment was just around the corner. Tell them, Noah, tell them. Judgment is just around the corner. And it was time for them to do what you did. Tell them, Noah, you found grace in the eyes of the Lord because it was findable. Tell them to go looking for it. And then throughout Noah's day, when Noah had some time to think, kind of ponder things and be alone, with his thoughts. Noah thought about the goodness of God and turned to God who was walking with him and just said, God, this is a time right now in my day when I just want to worship you. I realize all these horrible things are going on around me, but Lord, just in this little time, let's call it a sanctuary time, and I just want to worship you for your goodness, letting me find the grace of God in your eyes. And at the end of Noah's day, Noah comes to the end of his day, He puts his head down on his pillow, and he goes to sleep. And before he does, he just says, Lord, I just have one question at the end of this day, the end of every day. And that is, were you happy with me today? And he says, were you happy with our walk together today? Because, Lord, if you're happy, I'm happy. That's all I need. I'm happy. And so, good night, Lord. Let's walk again together tomorrow. That's the life. See, walking together with God. That's what he did. And it didn't come naturally with Noah. He had to work at it. It was hard work for this to happen. But that's how he fed the spirit, starved the flesh. And that's how Noah intentionally walked with God. He oriented his life around a daily walk with God. That's how God wants us to intentionally live a life that's a daily walk with him. Now, there's two verses in the New Testament that give us tremendous insight into Noah's life. And turn with that, I've looked at it before, Hebrews 11, 6 and 7. It reads like this. But without faith, it is impossible to please God. Without faith. That's the way it is. For he that cometh to God must, 
not should, but must believe that he is. And must also believe that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. So two things have to believe. He is and he's a rewarder. By faith Noah being warned of God of things not seen as yet. He moved with fear. He prepared an ark to the saving of his house by the which he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness which is by faith. So we learn that above all, number one, when you looked at Noah's life, you would say, now that's a man of faith. He believes things that are not seen as yet. That's a very, very important word, as yet. They will be seen. They will be seen, but not yet. So really, a man of faith is believing before you're seeing. And so that's the reason why Noah found grace was because Noah believed, first of all, that God existed. He says, you have to believe that he exists. He says, he that come to God must believe that he is. So he believed that he was. And so that was the first thing that he believed existed. And, you know, God could let the world see him as he really is. He could do that. He could pull back the drapes of these clouds and skies and so forth, and everyone could see the Lord Jesus Christ with millions of powerful angels surrounding him, ready to do his will. And then you know what? There wouldn't be any unbeliever. He'd have to be out of his mind. Everybody would believe, right? But God has chosen to keep himself concealed. He's chosen to keep himself not seen. He's chosen to give the option of maybe there is no God. Why? Because to believe in a person when others don't, that's when you really come out as as one that puts confidence in the unseen one. It's an opportunity to say when everyone walks away, I'm standing faithful to him. He's looking for those, and he describes those when he says to Thomas in John 20, 29, he said, Jesus saith unto Thomas, because thou hast seen, thou hast believed. That's like, well, you know, because you saw, you believed. Okay, and everybody would do that. But then he said, blessed are they that have not seen and yet have believed. So the Lord Jesus Christ intentionally keeps himself unseen because he's looking for who's going to believe, for those who have not seen and yet have believed. This last week, National Geographic came out a couple days at the Creation Museum and was uh, learning all about the Creation Museum and interviewing and so forth. And they said, it takes faith to believe that the world was created. And I said, well, yes, it does. It also takes faith to believe in evolution. It's all about faith. Why? Because these are things not seen. We weren't there when it all took place. And that's the way God set it up. You know, you know there's no proof There's overwhelming evidence, but anyway. So Noah was one of those who had not seen and yet believed. That's Noah. And most people will say today, well, I believe in God. Most people say that. Well, yeah, I'm not a heathen. I believe in God. I believe in God. I'm maybe agnostic, but I believe in God. So that's why the second part is very important about what Noah did. It doesn't say they just believe that God is, but that he was a rewarder of them that diligently seek them. So to believe in God, that's not enough. But it's necessary to go the next step, which Noah did. What was the next step? The greatest need he had in his life was to be saved from the sins, from the judgment coming. He needed the grace of God. So he sought that grace, Titus 2.11. The grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men. 
Wonderful expository teaching from our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, here on Friendship with God. Sign up for Tom Cantor's daily devotional verse. You can do so at friendshipwithgod.org. If you're enjoying the Friendship with God radio program, we'd like you to support this Old Testament teaching radio Bible teaching program. And you can do so by calling us now or after the program at 800-247-3051. That's 800-247-3051. You can also donate online at friendshipwithgod.org. Friendshipwithgod.org. Now, Tom Cantor uh, teaches so well the Old Testament. He's just a master teacher of the Old Testament, the life of Abraham. We've been studying lately in the book of Genesis, chapter 23, and the Jewish people started with Abraham. Tom Cantor himself, our Bible teacher, is a Jewish born-again believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, and he wants you and others to reach the lost Jewish people of this nation and this world. Now, to do so, he's established Israel Restoration Ministries. He's the founder of this Jewish evangelism outreach ministry. We have full-time missionaries, part-time missionaries, and volunteers like you that help us in reaching the lost Jewish people in our cities and our neighborhoods. If you'd like to support Jewish evangelism or get Jewish evangelism materials to give to lost Jewish people that you know for free, you can call us at 800-247-3051. That's 800 800- 247-3051. You can also go online to israelrestoration.org. That's israelrestoration.org for free Jewish evangelism materials and information on how you can reach lost Jewish people, including how to receive the Jewish Messiah as your Savior. Find that plan of salvation online at israelrestoration.org or call us at 800 247 3051 800 247 3051